0: two, come on. I'm Ro Hattie, Treaty 7 lands Calgary, Alberta, Canada. This is part two with Dr. Drew Hart. Part one, we were talking about activism and justice, and we were unpacking decolonization and paving a path towards, uh, not just reconciliation, but a path towards wholeness for black and brown bodies. In this episode, we pick up the conversation and we drill down into Dr. Hart's latest book, Who Will Be a Witness? And then stick around for the second part of this conversation, where we reimagine what the Church can look like in the future. Let's dive right in. Who Will Be a Witness... Uh, Follow-up from Trouble I've Seen. I was mentioning off-air that, although you don't name it, your work, your hermeneutic, but your work in in both biblical scholarship, but also just quite simply unpacking the narratives here in Scripture— is the work of decolonizing scripture? So, you do actually use the words of decentering whiteness in, in an example in one of your chapters in Who Will Be a Witness. Um, but do you process it through that what you're doing is intentionally decolonizing? Um, this one has stories of Barabbas. Um, Trouble I've seen has stories around uh, Romans, so every time you interact, every time you interact with with the scriptures, it's an exercise in, in I think decolonizing
1: yeah, so I would say um, yes, that would be my first answer right that that it mm-hmm. is doing that, um, and I see myself in some ways as participating in that broader conversation, and mm-hmm. also um, because of like I, I think the language of colonizing and decolonizing um, is not unfortunately as like in the U S context is just not the way that people think through some of these things. Yeah. The um, same here. Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, sometimes I'll talk about decolonizing Christianity, things like that, but probably more often than not, I'll talk about anti-racist discipleship because um, I think that that's where people, it hits people. Uh, maybe more directly in terms of my context, um, to to use talk about anti-racist discipleship, um, which, I mean, at the end of the day, when you're talking about racism and you talk about colonization, we're talking in basically the same things, just different ways of entering into the conversation, but they, they, they meet. Mm. Um, and I do think that when we have global conversations, then you have to talk about decolonizing. I mean, that's just the the broader way that you have to have the conversation. But on the U.S. level, um, I think to say anti-racist discipleship, I think um, enters people into conversations that they ha- haven't been focusing on in terms of Christianity and its readings and, and how it takes itself. And then also to talk about empire, right? Which again, you talk about, you know, I, I always focus on the Roman empire as the context in which the whole entire New Testament is written. If you don't see the Roman empire in the background of everything that you're reading, you're missing um, all of what's going on in scripture. Um, and so those anti-imperial documents um, really uh, provide a lot of meaning mm. for us mm. in our present day on this side of colonialism, on this side of a white supremacy um, that we've got to grapple with, um,
0: and that's Did part you of just we- say anti-imperial documents. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Go on. yeah anti. Okay. I mean, that's
1: what they are. Yeah, they're anti-imperial <laughs> documents um, and radical. Some of them. I mean, the mm-hmm. funny thing is, which is why it, it makes sense why. Um, evangelicals have latched onto revelations and made it into what it is Mm -hmm. because if they had read it as it was meant to it's the most Mm -hmm. devastating of all Mm anti-imperial documents Mm -hmm. i mean you can't read revelations 13 or chapter 18 without a devastating critique on all empire right that Mm -hmm. babylon is going to fall um it's just it's vicious right um it makes (laughs) you know um, I don't know. Anybody will blush. Edward Said, he's blushing reading those two <laughs> chapters, right? I mean, it's just, it's just vicious. Um, mm. France Fanon, right? He, he, uh, it, so anyway, um, I think that, yeah, we've got to grapple and read these texts like that. And, and especially mm-hmm. because we're in a context where Western Christianity has reimagined itself as the center of, of Christianity, right? They, they've, they've claimed copyright on Christianity. They've claimed copyright on biblical interpretation. They claim copyright on Jesus. And they think that if you want to reach any of those things, you got to come through us, right? Um, and assimilate and become and contort yourself into these kind of readings and hermeneutics. And so it's precisely at that moment that that needs to be dislodged. Um, and that we have to assume, given that, our history of colonialism and conquest and slavery, all that has gone over the past, you know, 500 years, given that biblical studies and theology all propped it up, that they diseased it, twisted it. We have to assume that we have to do rereadings on everything. Mm-hmm. That, that, mm-hmm. that they're as they've been handed on to us, they are still diseased. <laughs> still mangled, right? They still carry these 500 years of history of being used to prop up white supremacy. And so we've got to not allow them to be the authoritative readers of the tradition and and holders and keepers of the tradition. Um, There's no reason for that to begin with anyway, because they're Gentiles, number one. But secondly, (laughs) then Gentiles that thought that they were the chosen ones, and then not just that, but Gentiles who thought they were chosen ones who use that to enslave and to destroy our planet, right, and our world. Um, so for all those reasons, we've got to um, allow— they, they can sit at the table and have a conversation, but they certainly are not going to be running the theological interpretation and the biblical interpretation mm. of Scripture um, that they, that can't continue anymore.
0: Mm. Mm. They, uh, they operate as the gatekeepers, and then the, the additional layer which you alluded to is they have created— a Christ in their image. That's right. Is that we now have? They are protecting a tradition, but it's a white Jesus tradition. Yep. yep. Um, I wonder if, as we talk about coming to the table, we use that. We see that language used quite often when it when it comes to work of trying to become more diverse, or uh, churches trying to do some of this work around justice. Um, whose table? Right. <laughs> And I think we need new tables. Yeah. We need new tables. Um, we can't just expand existing tables because that's somebody else's table. Um, we, need, we need new imagination now to filter through. And, and, of course, the tension to that is also the approach that in our attempts to read Scripture um, through our lens as, as oppressed people in, in whichever way, that we still have remnants of the empire that impact our reading as well. Right. Right. Who is the, because this isn't a book on how to read scripture necessarily. Um, who is the target as you picture, as you were writing this book, who did you have in mind as the recipient and the reader?
1: Yeah, well, I'll tell a little story to kind of give you a framing of who I was writing this for. Um, and in some ways it's broad, but uh, I was doing, um, I was engaging congregations around trouble I've seen, right? So churches mm-hmm. that were actually wanting to have conversations to go deeper on anti-racist discipleship in their congregations. Um, so I'm going over speaking, mostly in the United States, and, um, and all of a sudden I would get these questions like, all right, You convinced us. Right. We see it. We see the white supremacy. It's all over the place. Right. We're involved. we got to break out of it, all this stuff. Um, But and we see like I guess the issue for them was it sounds like you want us towards the end to like be in solidarity in the struggle for justice. Right. But like what does that look like? That was the question. Mm-hmm. What does that actually mean? What does that mean for a congregation to actually do this work? Are you just telling us to go vote? What, like, what do, you, what do you actually mean when you invite it? So they understood that justice was something that it should be doing, but they actually, there was no tradition of actually doing the work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was actually the spark for me even wanting to write the book in the first place was like, all right. I'm assuming that folks can imagine what this is going to look like and they can't. Right. And so, um, what's that next step? Then of course, I'm not just going to write, I mean, there's other books that could, they could, if they just want a how to on organizing and activism and social sh- change strategies, there's, you know, um, uh, any academic books, all kinds of resources that they could go. So I'm going to do way more than that, though I have personal experience on the ground, especially with working with churches on the ground with that. But, um, but the, so then I, I was thinking, like, you know, what do churches need and who's actually, like, who, who needs this kind of, like, reimagination of what it means to be the church on the ground at the grassroots level in their own communities? And so I was thinking, like, it's the churches that either, um, well, I mean, for some, you could say there's some churches that already are doing some work it just need some encouragement along the way, right? So there's those folks. Um, there's folks that are awakening Right. So I would consider for, there's the congregations, I think, like they've read, like, you know, my book uh, Trouble I've Seen or maybe Lisa Sharon Harper's work or uh, Austin Channing Brown's, or whatever. But they read it collectively as a congregation or having conversations. You think about like, you know, the great work you guys do are decolonizing Christianity like that. That's a movement. Right. That's happening. Mm-hmm. That's that's not something mm-hmm. that's just sprague There's a movement that's happening right now and people are engaging from different angles, these kind of questions as not even just as individuals, but as congregations. And I'm thinking it's those kind of folks alongside there's other folks who I would say have known that there was something wrong and maybe know to some degree, um, you know, can remember, you know, like I'm thinking of the black community, there's black churches, they're aware of the civil rights movement and what was going on. There's elders in the community that still have memory, but in some Mm -hmm. ways, some of the churches, their theology is still um, captive to kind of mainstream, uh, westernized, domesticated Christianity as well, right, mm-hmm, um, in mm-hmm. some ways. And so there's this range of communities that are poised to, to get activated, to embody something new in their local communities. And that's really who, who who will be a witness was written for. It's for those kind of folks. I mean, because the book, it offers it. Uh, undomesticated vision of Jesus, especially in terms of his activism and his radicalness and his resistance, right, to the establishment. Um, it challenges our history, our remembering of how we got to where we are today. It reframes what it means to be the church collectively. And it gives us very stra- strategic, pragmatic, and yet faithful ways that we can engage at the local level to, to bring social change. And so um, th- th- that's what the book is trying to do. It's really trying to just Kick the church in the butt, right? And say, let's go. But also with a renewed theological imagination (laughs) of who Jesus is.
0: Yeah, Let's go do what you're supposed to be doing. Come on. You use the word empire. Uh, Another word you use quite often is, uh, you, you just use it again, domesticated. Yeah. Which is, I'm not sure, that's not one that I have often heard used to describe the Americanized or the um, Westernized version of Christianity. Uh, But you use that quite often. Uh, Unpack unpack the the punch of why domesticated. Yeah. And for me, it really centers around
1: the person of Jesus, right? Like what we've done with Jesus. I mean, Jesus is, he's a nonviolent revolutionary that Challenges. He can't help himself, but had set his eyes towards the establishment clash with it confront it call it a den of robbers name it for uh stealing and robbing widows homes right he can't mm. disrupt that space this is a talk about occupy movement he occupies um the establishment space and does it such that they have to plot to kill him right that's the empire strikes back and clashes um and he knows that that's what's coming that's what happens when you uh ruffle the feathers of, of the empire and so you have this powerful that's the gospel story that is the the jesus story right in matthew mark luke john is the only difference is john has it up front jesus is a a a troublemaker from the jump versus the climax right so that's the Mm -hmm. only difference but all of them that's significant to the jesus story is how he confronts empire clashes and resists and as a prophetic witness um and, and so what, yes. what we've done to Jesus is we've santa him or disnified him him um, in the West to make him safe to the status quo, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. Um, that's why I say that we've, we've domesticated him, we've watered down, we've diluted yeah. him, and we've turned him into a mascot for the status quo, right? Um, and so he has no – the teeth, the claws are gone, so to speak. Um, and, and, so, and so there's no challenge anymore. That's why people can, you know – do all these horrible things, I mean, it makes no sense. How can you mistreat and, and, and stigmatize the poor, the least, the last and lost and little ones of our society, and claim Jesus? You, you're clearly not immersed in the Jesus story, right? Uh, because the, Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John directly Directly, not even like subtly. There's nothing subtle about <laughs> Jesus, right? The oh, blessed yeah. are the poor. Woe to you who are rich. Like that's yeah. Jesus is not. I mean, I tell you, he makes Karl, Karl Marx blush when he comes on <laughs> wealth, right? You don't want to <laughs> put Marx versus the Gospel of Luke versus James. I mean, come on now. Like, he's radical on these yeah, issues. Yeah. There's no subtlety. Um, Mary's Magnificat, right? Um, he's going to send the the it's just radical it's just radical so Mm -hmm. so the domestication that's gone on is to make jesus palatable for the status quo for those in power um and so we've got to recover we can't (laughs) accept jesus that's been handed to us from from people that have been doing this kind of manipulation of the gospel story
0: it happens when you turn jesus white
1: right and not just, I always tell people, white, not just in terms of appearance, right? But as uh-huh. a way of being, right? Uh-huh. This Jesus doesn't care about mass incarceration. He's not bothered by genocide. I always tell people, the most popular image of portrait of white Jesus is the head of Christ image, right? The one where he's gazing yeah, uh-huh, up, yeah. right? Yeah. I that's see been, it. I
0: see it. When you do that, I see yeah. it.
1: Yeah, he's gazing. And what's fascinating is he looks like he just came from the spa, right? He's so relaxed.
0: Oh, that's true. Freshly He's long so prepared.
1: calm. Yeah. He doesn't have a care in the world. There's nothing no, to be angry or disturbed yeah. about. <laughs> life is so good. What's yeah. the problem, right? Life is good. Um, and so that Jesus uh, knows not the life of the crucified, right? Mm. His, his world is not invested in, in those that are disproportionately yes. suffering in our world. That's not um, a oppressed Jesus. Right. That's not, but that's, that's the most... Uh, duplicated and Jesus. spread out image of Jesus globally in all, of all times, and it's mm. a, a Jesus that was created in the United States in the early 20th century under
0: Jim Crow. Imagine that. Oh, I didn't know the Jim Crow bit. When we talk about the the domesticated Jesus versus the triumphant Savior. Who comes to topple empires? You use also another word in the book around theater. Hmm. You draw in the words and the actions of the theatrics of Jesus, particularly around the passion. Right. Which to me, and tell me if you did this on purpose, that became now the blueprint to fuel the church in its activism today. But look at the theater, the, the, the exploits, look at the design of yeah. the passion and how Jesus was intentional with his movements and his activities um, and his upset and subversion. And now church, go and do likewise. That's
1: right. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it's, which is classic. I mean, what Jesus is doing, what we see in the Gospel of Mark is what like nonviolent activists have been, pushing, right? You, um, they've mm. been to, it's about dramatizing the issue in the public square. It's mm. performative, right? It's those who yes. do like more symbolic yeah. public demonstrations and stuff, it's about being creative and strategic yeah. mm-hmm. and dramatizing. So it's not, that's why you've got to bring your best mind. This is not just about having a rally, that doesn't catch anyone's attention anymore. There's nothing strategic about that anymore, right? And so we're kind of sometimes – I'm not saying that we can't have rallies, too, because they have their place. Everything has their yeah. place. But, but when we're talking about actually um, uh, increasing the tensions in our society to bring attention to what's going on, right, uh, we've got to escalate, The tension, like that's actually what we're talking about. You've got to actually dramatize what's going Mm -hmm. on. You've got to be strategic Mm -hmm. and creative and have fun with it. I mean, you look, you read globally about what nonviolent activists are doing globally. They're creative. They're having fun. They're, they're very thoughtful stuff. They're not, so they don't, it's not the one hit wonder of just marches and rallies. That's all we can think of now. It seems sometimes, but they're doing really thoughtful stuff to undermine, make fun of dictators, all just really (laughs) clever stuff, right? That's the kind of work that we ought to do, but we, so we got to put our best minds together to scheme and plot for good. Um, And that's what I'm hoping that the church can do and then get out there and embody that bear witness. That's the kingdom of God must be dramatized in the public square.
0: If you're going to get your ass beat by the state, you might as well have fun doing it. <laughs> what does it look like? And and the book certainly helps in, in some ways, but what is the reimagined church of tomorrow? The one that is operating against the empire at the onset, the one with the multi-ethnic one that is filled with the Jesus followers who have the crucified Messiah leading the way. Uh, What does it look like, A, that church? (laughs) What does that church look like? Um, What is that church that's not starting at the top? Rather, it's positioned against empire in the best way that it can. What does that faith in that church look like today? Because we need a new imagination for the church today, especially when so much of the old is struggling.
1: Yeah. Um, Let's see. I mean, there's so many angles into this, right? Um, I think that we can think about um, what it means to be community, right? Um, Because most churches... um, in the West, because we're just so hyper-individualized, we don't know what it means to be community and to belong to others, um, to give, receive, and share, to, to be caught up and intertwined in each other's lives, um, and to not think of ourselves as just as individuals who happen to collectively gather, right? Um, and so I think, so, so that would probably be a significant, because we do need communities that actually um, share resources, uh, redistribute resources that do reparations right ecclesial reparations, all these kind of like I think that so even just on the uh, material side of just um, resources and how we think about that and navigate that can be reimagined from below on the underside, even as we challenge with a prophetic voice against yeah. the yeah. system that is designed and organized for for the masses to be poor right so I think that that 's one thing is um, that I also think community in terms of um, I, I'm a big, big believer in dialogical space and communities, mm-hmm. not in a kind of rigid way. I think there's a lot of different ways that that can happen, but I do think that the idea that we should just be passively coming into a Christian community where the expert speaks and everyone else just listens and receives as recipients, right? Mm -hmm. That that's not healthy and that's not church. Um, So we've got to have more Mm -hmm. dialogue and interaction, giving, and receiving in all different ways, because the fact of the matter is, I know as someone who has a PhD that the spirit's, doesn't speak just through folks with PhDs. In fact, often it's folks who have Mm. less education and resources and opportunities that God is going to say something powerful through. And we're going to miss Mm. it if we just, if we've got our pre-designed ideas about who the experts are, right? Um, And so I think dialogical space that allow, unleashes the spirit to speak through who the spirit chooses is really important. Um, I think hierarchy, flattening hierarchy from all the ways that we've imagined. It doesn't mean that there's no leadership, um, but but not the loading over others kind of leadership that, I mean, we're seeing in the news, all the failures Mm -hmm. of pastors that have been wielding power over others in all kinds of terrible ways. Uh, We've got to flatten that hierarchy. Um, Again, all these things work towards the same goal of creating authentic, genuine community. I also think that uh, discipleship, right, that we've got to reimagine discipleship um, that discipleship Mm -hmm. isn't about book studies it's not about 12-week um, course. course, devos and all that stuff, but it is about how do we collectively help each other follow Jesus in our lives, um, immerse ourselves in the story of Jesus, and then live that out to embody the good news before our neighbors, right? Um, bear witness to God's reign breaking into the world because we're actually living it out so that when our neighbors see us live in the community, they see snapshots of the Jesus story. That's, that's what they ought to see, right? Um, so, how do we disciple in actual ways that actually take Jesus seriously? That's the very thing Western Christianity never wanted to do. They wanted to claim Jesus, um, but they didn't want to take the birth, life, teachings, death, and resurrection of Jesus very seriously. Um, and that's precisely what those on the underside um, did. Like, yeah. that's black Christians, you know, enslaved, Af- my, my ancestors, right? They, they heard this, this slave holding Jesus. Uh, but they received a different kind of Jesus that was uh-huh. liberative and that cared about those mm-hmm. who were suffering in the world. Cause they understood something more about the significance of his actual life. Right. While mainstream Christianity does, I call it the, Uh, the cradle to the cross jump, right? Uh, They love baby Jesus. And then they they want to talk about Jesus on the cross, right? And they think that everything else is meaningless. So it's like a potluck. You pick and choose what you want, right? At the
0: buffet table. You're going to escape the world anyways. Right. We're going to escape the world anyway.
1: So so I do think that discipleship is going to matter and a holistic kind of conversion, Right a conversion that means change as the early church meant change, not just in belief, but belief, behavior, and belonging, right. Mm -hmm. Um, That our our new imagination and understanding of, which is, it's about our story that we live by, right. The gospel story that God's reign, a new world is coming. Uh, What does it mean to be locked into that story that Jesus has inaugurated? And then also, um, our our behave, our ways of living, right? Who we identify with? Um, how do we practice again? Overcoming evil with good, right? Sharing resources, redistribution, reparations uh, when we do wrong, right? Um, resisting evil, like these are things. These are I'd say basic Christian practices of just being followers of Jesus. This is you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and you're trying to live that out, it's like, uh, somebody um, gives the example of, um, who is it, Robert Jelinek. he's a black pastor in I believe Denver, Colorado. And he talks about, imagine you, um, you, you meet someone that's been, who says they've been playing the piano for 25 years, right? And, um, and then they sit down and then they just plunk out, like barely can get out, like Mary had a little lamb. Eh, eh, uh, 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 you know, and it's just like clunky and it's a mess. You'd be like something's wrong here, right? I mean, granted, there's different talents and gifts that people have, but like, but like you're gonna, there's some basics that you can, you should be able to expect if you've been practicing the piano for 25 years. Um, Same thing with the church, like if they've been disciples of Jesus for 25 years, there's some basics, right, Um, that we should have speaking truth. Um, loving your neighbor, right? Caring for the least last and lost, and and little ones and identifying with them like Jesus did, right? Like there's some basic stuff, uh, a reorientation around blessings, right? Um, There's some basic stuff that just come with what it means to be a follower of Jesus that clearly have not happened. And then belonging. Um, What does it mean to belong Mm. to others? Um, White supremacy distorted sense of belonging and identity in the world. It ripped people's identity away from place and land Um, And it racialized everything, right? But what does it mean, even in the midst, and it doesn't mean, like, I still, I consider myself a black man who identifies as a black man, but also that it's caught up, though, in belonging in Jesus Christ Um, and and what that ought to mean for how we see others and how we see ourselves and how we relate to others, not belonging in the kind of like uh, church versus the world's kind of belonging. Actually, mm-hmm. Jesus' belonging should orient us in the other way, right? Which mm-hmm. is to o- open us up to others, to hear other people's stories, to be mm-hmm. listeners to other people's stories. Um, you, we're not insecure in ourselves. We should be very secure in who we are mm-hmm. yes. and then can enter yeah, and yeah. learn and grow from others, mutual yeah. sharing because yeah. of that, right? And so I think that um, that kind of stuff is good. All right, so also theology and practice. What does it mean to decenter? The white theology, the westernized theology, the domesticated theology that we've been talking about, and to allow Indigenous theologies to emerge, to allow theologies from the margins and the edges of society to emerge, um, for people to realize that we have the freedom to, to both, we should be uh, conscious of. I do believe there's a responsibility to be conscious of the historical theology and global theology, but also that we do theology ourselves on the ground in our own mm-hmm. communities in our own contexts, right? Um, so there's no homogenizing where we've got a, there's no policing of theologies where everyone has to believe the exact same thing in the exact same way with these particular words and stuff. Like that's, that's not even what we see in the New Testament, right? Mm. Um, that we have four Jesus stories, right? Um, mm. and, and it's not, I don't think it means that anything and everything is necessarily faithful to the way of Jesus. I, I will say that out there also, right? Yeah. Um, but also that it doesn't have to be this kind of obsessive heresy hunting that western especially protestant christianity has created or maybe more than protestant but but western christianity in general has created this strange ugly uh, inclination around heresy hunting that's just not healthy for the church because it doesn't allow contextual theologies and indigenous theologies mm-hmm. to emerge and for people to figure it out, believe it. We got to believe that the spirit of God is at work all around the world in fresh mm-hmm. ways and that we just have a part of what we have and, and other folks got to have, have a part and that we can actually learn and dialogue with them when, when we allow them to be fully themselves on the ground in their communities.
0: Is this your next book?
1: No, that's not my next book. Well, who knows, right? <laughs> you but just had like point. six chapters right there, man. Yeah. Yeah. Go yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, I want to respect your time. Um, we didn't get to your next book idea. Next, but, time, um, next time..: Next time. Yeah. Uh, did you want to leave off with anything about uh, about your book about who will be a witness or trouble I've seen, I guess, but uh, anything we wanted you wanted to slot in?
1: No, I just, I just hope, um, I really hope that uh, congregations in particular, um, I mean, individual reading it is great, but also I'm hoping that, mm. so if you do end up reading it, um, invite your congregation to read it with you. Um, and there's actually free study guides, so if people don't know what to do, oh. go to heraldpress.com. There's free okay. study guides for both, Trouble I've Seen and Who Will Be a Witness. And who will be a witness? I got my friend um, Terrence Hawkins organizing in South Carolina. He actually did the study guide for it. Um, good brother doing some really, really good work on the ground. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, so it's, it's a great resource for uh, collective reading because it can open up congregations imagination for what can be. Um, so good for individuals, but even gr- greater and better for, for groups to read together. Yeah.
0: That's it. There are a lot of different resources out there. Drew's been kind of doing the circuit with podcasts. And so if you want to hear more, um, Freedom House has some stuff that's run by Lisa Sharon Harper. Um, Go find more of his podcasts. Read his books, the two main ones, Trouble I've Seen and Who Will Be a Witness. They're all out now. I know these two podcasts, they're just dense. They're just full of... Good ideas and they will require you to revisit them as I did a few times because there are layers of depth here. So thank you so much for listening. and you can support this podcast. Just check out the website Rohatie.com for details on that and follow myself and follow Drew on Twitter at Hart. but it's not spelled like his book. It's spelled DRU. Hart, H-A-R-T, Drew Hart, at Drew Hart for Twitter and Instagram. All right, next episodes are just around the corners, So let's dive into that one or take a rest, but come on back for a new series with my friend Robert Monson.